Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the show where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. If you like what you listen to on the show today, or you like what you listen to in general, please go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review the show. We love to hear from you. We like to understand what you're liking, what you're not liking, so that we put the best content out there to inspire the best outcomes in medicine. So I really want to thank you for continuing to tune in. And today I have a really special show for you. Typically we interview leaders in healthcare but we wanted to do this time around is get a patient's story onto the show. And for that, I want to introduce you Ran Patterson. Ran is a young adult two-time cancer survivor. She was a cancer site editor at BellaOnline.com. And she also was a featured patient at TalkAboutHealth.com. And she's done some guest blogging too on sites like Medivisor and lacunaloft.com, but she was listed as one of the top 100 healthcare Twitter users by mhaguide.com. So she's somebody that has really put herself out there and the mission of healthcare outcomes. She's currently residing in Northeast Alabama in the town of Gadsden. It's the Birmingham area, if you guys didn't know. So what I want to do is just uh, give Ran a warm welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm so happy to be here with you today. It's a pleasure to have you, Ran. And so, you know, you've obviously have had a lot of roles and and obviously now you've survived cancer twice. What is it that got you to get involved into healthcare like you have? Well, actually, after the first cancer I had, I was uh, 26 years old. I had just turned 26, actually. I met my oncologist on my 26th birthday, Mm. and uh, I I did very well, but I developed, because I had uterine cancer, and I developed lymphedema in my legs after three years, and I found that there was not a lot of knowledge about lymphedema at that time, and so my uncle, who worked in a durable medical company, got me my first pair of compression garments, and my doctor had never mentioned it. I got I found that I went from not needing a GP to needing an oncologist and then was followed by him. But then I sort of started falling through the cracks, so to speak. And I didn't know, I didn't have, I was just working in a single person working and I needed them. They became essential to my health and just to live a a regular life. So after so many years, I just realized there was just a, a real need for knowledge about certain things in the cancer community with complex side effects. And so you found yourself in the community of just folks with cancer, and you just found that it was difficult to get information and resources. And you said, you know what, this is an opportunity to contribute, uh, an opportunity to give back. Yes. It took me a long time to get there, but that was what actually from the, in the last, since 2011, when I actually got on the the Bella Online site to write, I realized there was still not any information out there. I was shocked when I got, I haven't been online because when I had to quit work, you know, you're out of money, you're not in touch. I had to quit work right before the internet explosion happened. 
so I went in reverse. So I was out of touch. So when I got the opportunity to start writing, I just went after it. I started doing research online. I thought I'm going to find all kinds of things about lymphedema and, and new techniques or whatever. And I, all I was finding was the same old, same old. And I was just so frustrated. So I started writing about things and researching. It was a, a, a general topic of cancer, but I did insert my own experiences in there. And, you know, and I did what I could because I thought this, I can't stand this. I can't stand this not going forward. Yeah. And what's really neat, Ran, is that you went from suffering from disease to saying, you know what, I'm going to actually help others. And so you took this really selfless approach of just helping others that have been where you have been. And so now, you know, fast forward to today, there's a lot more resources thanks to the work that you've done. Well, thank you. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that I made that list, and which is an incredible honor. But the reason that I did it was because the one of my passions is that I don't like, I can't stand injustice. And I can't stand suffering. I can't stand suffering. And when, when I can help myself with the suffering, I can help others with us diminish it. So you said it. That's a really noble thing to have done, Ran. And from your perspective, you know, patient perspective, what do you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? Oh, that's a big one. Because as healthcare as we see it right now is uh, in trouble. But I think I said in a memo to you, I have just been out of the hospital twice back to back just recently. And um, what I'm seeing is just it's in the hospitals around here in in my area and all states are different depending on your, you know, zip code or geography or Mm -hmm. whatever, socioeconomic status or whatever. I'm finding it's in a free fall from the, I went in uh, maybe two months ago for the first time and then I did okay. The help was good. And then from this last time was just terrible. I, I found a lot of neglect and calling for help when I'm in a stage 10 pain level plus and, you know, not enough nurses to patient ratio. It seems like because of there's people without, you're hearing this all over the place because there's people without health care, they're going to the emergency rooms, which is written into law. If They can stabilize you if you need to go. And it's just overcrowded and the nurses are overworked. They're overwhelmed. And that's been going on for a long time. They've had the hospitals here have had periods of where we'll all say to each other, which hospital's doing good? We have two. Which one's doing good at this time? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and that's the one we go to because it seems like whoever's managing it or whatever, I don't know how it goes exactly because I'm not a business person, but the businesses always watch their bottom line. And unfortunately, in healthcare, it's right now, it's the bottom line versus humanity or how good I end up while I'm there and when I come out. It's versus, it's money versus people, basically. And that's, that's the bottom line. When you're in, in a situation like you were, the message is, please do more to help me feel like a human and not just a number or a patient. Yes. It was actually very scary this past time, and I don't scare easy. When you've been told you've had cancer twice, nothing much scares you. And um, I've always been an independent woman anyway. I get it honest from both sides of my family, but I am human, and I was scared. I was like, I don't, they're, because they're here, there's, see, a lot of the, everywhere, a lot of the, when the healthcare started changing, a lot of the nurses left the hospitals, a lot of the doctors retired. 
A lot mm-hmm. of them were at retirement age, so they retired because with the implement of the ACA, because nobody knew how it was going to go. And a lot of them thought, oh, you know, my God, this is going to be awful. I don't think I can do this. Some were at the age they didn't, or at the age that they were older, they didn't want to relearn it. So they left. Some did retire. Some went into businesses, you know, that were involved in healthcare, but not at the bedside. So it's kind of very fragmented. And it's when you're a sick person and you're needing help like that, it's scary that you can't, you think that you're you're being left or you're not being heard. You push the nurse button, nobody comes. It leaves you perplexed at the very least. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It sounds like it was uh, tough for you to, to be able to get through that and, and you just felt like nobody was answering. Well, it wasn't always like that, but that it, a few times that it did happen and it wasn't the whole time because there are people that try so hard. There are are so many conscientious workers in the hospital, but there are the few bad ones. You know, it's the old saying, a few bad apples spoils the whole bunch. It -hmm. doesn't take, but a few that don't, that are just apathetic, that just don't care. There's, I'm, what I'm finding is, is that the compassionate ones are getting burned out and the ones that are apathetic can get actually harmful. So give us an example, Ran, of maybe something that you saw, you felt, or experience that actually helped you through your care process? Because obviously you, you beat cancer twice. Obviously part of it, mm-hmm. big part of it is your will. The other part of it yeah. is the medicine. So maybe you can share with the listeners, the providers, the executives, something that helped and something that they could take note of to maybe think about repeating? Uh, Well, uh, just to start off with, I had a a very, to start off in the beginning, I had a very good surgeon that was, he's been listed as, I got lucky, blessed, top 100 surgeons in America for years, decades. He's almost ready to retire. He's um, out West now. He was at UAB. But um, I started out with the best. So I what I did was, and I always like excellence anyway, I strive, I don't strive for perfection, that's not attainable, but we can all try to do the best we know how. And so he wouldn't settle for less. He put a team together because we had to do it really quickly. I was very sick. We had to get to me. It was life-threatening. So he put a good team together. So from following him for the five years before I moved and he moved away and our lives changed there. I learned just from watching him what, you know, what excellence was because he expected it from his team. And he was also, um, not only that, he was a scientist. He asked me to do a scientific, if I would take part in a scientific study during the operation, which I did, because I didn't know if I was going to live or not. Right. I didn't know what the risk was, but I thought, well, he said you could help future Ms. Patterson's. Well, now I'm, I'm in that future that I didn't know I would see. So, um, you know, I took part in that, and he's always done scientific research, and he's also been a professor. So, see, I started out with the best that was taking care of me, and so I learned from him, and he also learned from me. We, he, he appreciated the fact that I was willing to take part in the healthcare he was trying to give me. And I'm also a person of faith, so I, you know, I, you add that into the picture, and you kind of got a win-win situation going on. Yeah, for sure, Rand. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like your surgeon and the team that he had just kind of, they inspired confidence in you. They inspired confidence and and inspiration in a way that that helped you recover. Yes. You have to trust your doctor. 
That is so key. Because when I met him, I told you I met him on my birthday. Well, he asked me, he was going over my, my his, or who I was, or whether we were, were meeting each other, and he asked me how old I was, and I couldn't remember. And I thought I was 25 yesterday. How old am I today? And I remembered what day it was. It was my birthday. Uh-huh. And he just, he stopped interviewing me or whatever, questioning me. And he said, well, he just became all of a sudden human, like a father. He had two kids. And he said he wasn't that much older than me. He was about 40. I was 26. I just turned out. I said, I'm 26 today. And he said, well, happy birthday. You know, and he said, it's not yeah. exactly what you want to be doing on your birthday, is it? You know, he became all of a sudden, he, came, he stepped out of his doctor suit and became a person. And from that moment, I think we just connected. You know, I just, I started just from that moment, I was okay with it. I just knew he was going to be somebody that was going, that I could communicate with and that I could trust. Yeah, no, that's really great, Rand. Just that that human element, that connection that he made yes. really just made you feel good. Yes, it made all the difference in the world. Rand, so take us to the moment where everything kind of turned and started working out. What is it that you felt? What was that moment like? Well, you mean like uh, in the beginning at the hospital, you mean? Yeah, like the what moment where in, you knew you were going to be cancer. This has been 34 years, and so it put me back, put me in a time frame. So the moment you knew that you have beat cancer. Oh, well, I think in the very beginning, uh, what happened was I had the female cancer, and I was bleeding profusely. Like I said, it was a rush job. They had to get to me quickly. They didn't know if it was spread all over me or not. He told me, you know, he didn't know what my chances of survival were until he got he got in there. And so, um, like a few days after I met him, we did the surgery. So what happened was they did it in three stages and they went all the way from my abdomen, all the way up to my torso, to my breast area. And they took out nodes and that's actually what developed, where I developed the lymphedema. But there wasn't one positive node, which was such a blessing. Hmm. And he took out about 50, he said, because it was such a large area. You know, he had to go and check all of my vital organs. Because they're all in your torso, all of your right. vital organs and your your reproductive system is all your that's your whole life yes. <laughs> right there. But with the scientific study, I wasn't supposed to, by protocol, have to have any uh, radiation, and I was so looking forward to not having that because I didn't really want it. My grandfather had to have it in it. You know, I, I had heard so many horror stories about it, and I wasn't qualified to have chemotherapy because I didn't have any. It hadn't spread anywhere. What they did was that made us all very happy that it hadn't spread anywhere. And I had been so bad, you know, it had been so such a, I was so sick. And so that was uh, encouraging. And then they actually made me take the radiation. The, the oncology board met and they said because the margins were close, because the, mar- the tumor was so large, that it would just be the icing on the cake. And I just cried. <laughs> I yeah. thought I was going to go, you know, they were going to release me. I was going to go home and go back to work and all that. And that's not what happened. But it was such a beautiful experience meeting the people at the uh, radiation clinic. I remember my mother saying, because she had had a cancer that wasn't life-threatening and early on. And she said, she asked me, I remember once, she said, are you scared? And I said, no. But she said, I don't like the thought of all of the stainless steel and the, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that in the hospital. And she said, well, it'll be the people that will make the difference because she had gone through it. And she was right. And I remember when I started the radiation, which I didn't want to take, the oncology board decided that I would take it. 
And uh, I went and did it. And the people I met there were just the experience of that was just extraordinary. I would work half a day. I went back to work. I worked half a day and I drove an hour to Birmingham to UAB. I live an hour from there. And uh, I just did well. I, I just started. I kept my appetite. I kept eating. I gained weight. I had gotten kind of small. I was small anyway, but I lost a little weight. And I started gaining weight. And I was, again, I was just kind of decided to People I saw, you know, they were wheeling in elderly people from the hospital, and and uh, it just broke my heart seeing them laying there on their gurneys waiting to go in to be irradiated, you know, when they were really just needed to go home to die. It just, it hurt me. And I would stop, and they would reach, I would look at them, and we would make eye contact, and they would reach their arm out for me, and I would just stand there and let everybody else, see. we were all done when we were finished with our treatment, go on home, and I would stand there and just hold their hand and say, it's going to be okay, you know, and it was such a, just, I have so many stories that I could tell you it would take so long, but take too long, but those are the, that's the silver linings of things like this, that the human part that you can't really, you don't really understand it until you, it's what makes it not worth doing, but while you're doing it, it helps you get through it. It helps you, like you were saying, when you're giving out love like that to help somebody else's suffering be eased, then you yourself are gaining your health back. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Ran, I, I think that's such a great point. And to the listeners, this health care that we're in, care, put that care right. Healthcare instead of that stainless steel and, and the walls and the floors, the human element, the soft touch, the celebration of a birthday, the encouragement of somebody that needs it. Stop and encourage somebody today. You know, my message to you, based off of you know our conversation with Ran here, is stop today and and make somebody feel better. Give them a hug. Encourage them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the one thing that when I was in the hospital, I thought this is what they're losing it. They're getting, they're so busy and so stressed. They're losing the ability to feel. And that's scary. We've got to get to the place where we step out of ourselves and we start caring again and be in that moment. They call it, it's called mindfulness, which I don't, that's a lotus word to me. I'm sorry. But we've got to start caring for that one and following through and being there with them in their whatever suffering they're in and or whatever you want to call it and being there ourselves and whatever it takes to relax or to refocus or to get more grounded because we can all do it. We can all do it. We don't need to lose ourselves in all this and become hardened. Because that's going to be disastrous for sure our, our country. Yep, it sure will. And so we typically do a, a lightning round on the show with uh, healthcare leaders. And I think it'd be cool to, to do it with you, Ran, just to kind of get a feel from a patient perspective, what you okay, feel, well, how we can improve uh, outcomes. I, well, I've got that down here somewhere, if I can find <laughs> it. <laughs> so, okay. What? do you think the best way to improve healthcare outcomes is? I actually decided that uh, since we've already discussed it, we kind of got over it. I thought I would answer the second question first because that's where the problems, I thought we would, we've already gone over that, but the, the best Let's way to do that is to, to list the problems. 
first. Let's go. What are the and biggest then, mistakes or pitfalls to avoid then? What I wrote down was the too few nurses to patient ratio. That needs to improve. It's needed to improve for a long time. It still needs to improve because they're overworked. Mm-hmm. And they have here in our hospitals, they're our age. And some of them aren't even certified. We're talking about when the nurse isn't there, it's somebody that like changes the bed or gives you a bath. I mean, and they're, and they're acting like they're nurses and they're not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of ridiculous. But that, that's what needs to happen. We need more nurses on the floor. And because of that, the nurses are just getting, they're battle weary. They're compassionate, yeah. but they're battle weary. That's they're right. doing all they can. They're not even, you know, they run into the room and they're out of breath. That shouldn't happen. And I don't know, that's beyond burnout, in my opinion. No, I love um, it. More, but, more, more yeah. nurses for the patients. Yes, on the floor. Absolutely. Because there's some great nurses. And you know what? Nurses are the glue that is holding healthcare together. I love I nurses. Agree with you more. They definitely they are, are the, so important. I'll tell you what they do that people don't realize. They stand in between the doctors and the patients. They have to connect with the patient in a real, they, they do so much for us, but they also have to communicate with the doctor what to do to the patient because I can't do to the patient until the doctor gives the order. They also have to communicate with the patient's families. So they do everything. They, you know, and they're the only ones that are qualified to do IVs or catheters and things like that, that AIDS can't do. So all of that, those technical things. And they also are, since uh, many of them are women, not all, there's some male nurses, they're very um, good at just being very empathetic. They do everything. They do so much. And I'm so grateful for them. Uh, it's a hashtag I use sometimes. I love nurses on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But, That's a good but uh, you know, I want to give them the, you know, credit where credit's due. Those were the problems there. And then to improve it would be we need to reverse that trend. We need to increase the nurse to patient ratio in the hospital still because we still need the hospitals. There's a lot of nurses, there are a lot of people that have, professionals that have left the hospitals, but they are still needful. So we've got to increase that somehow and stop that downward trend to prevent the burnout. And that's where a lot of the problems arise where people either die in the hospital and there's lawsuits filed, where they're also scared of problems happening, but they can avoid that if they'll just address these problems with to get more the help to the patients that they need and where it's not so straight. There's not so thin. That's a great point, Rand. And what book would you recommend to the listeners to help well, them stay patient-focused? Um, well, I'll tell you the book that I had. It's, it's not patient-focused, but it goes along with our the topic that we've been talking about because it was in the with the questions, my favorite book. It's I love autobiographies, and I love the story of Helen Keller. Hmm. She hmm. overcame just insurmountable odds. And not only she was young when she went deaf and she was deaf and blind, the teacher she had, the, her story's wonderful, by the way. The book I have is The Story of My Life, uh, Helen Keller, hmm. and it's a modern library classics edition. And it's, she became such a prolific writer. Now, who could do that? except somebody who had pain. It was a painful process she went through, but she had a great teacher. And Ann Sullivan is the other hero of her life story. And she, Ann Sullivan, her beloved teacher, she called her, was temporarily blind for a while. 
And when she was in her early 20s, basically the age of maybe graduating college or so, when she got better and could see again, was assigned to take care of Helen. And she poured her life into Helen Keller. And she stayed with her all of her life until she died. But she had to touch her all the time. She was so close to her. She just, all I can say is, if we could just be, all of us be an Ann Sullivan and just pour ourselves into the place where, you know, like an empty, a pitcher that's full that's good and an empty cup and pour that and fill that up. Pretend that cup is a patient that needs something and you've got the answer that they need, then give it because we all have gifts and we all, we need to find where that need is. And uh, that's why I brought up the idea about the oncology GP idea, because it's a need. It's a something that's begging to be filled in, in the community of cancer survivors. Oh, this but, is a great, great, great recommendation. And to the listeners, you know, be, fill that cup, you know, be that voice of kindness and fill that cup of that patient or per, you know, I always even, I don't even like to say patient, a person, because it's a person before, yes, a patient, you know, that's and, true. That's know. true. I, I'm like you. I, I, there's a lot of, I call them buzzwords out there that uh, can get stale and they, they take on meanings that aren't true. That's right. And uh, the yes, you're you're correct. The person, we're all people, we're all human. And it doesn't you don't have to be old to get sick. You can children are born with problems and with birth of defects or even toddlers get brain tumors and then they end up I knew one on Twitter that ended up in hospice in England in when she was 5. She died when she was 5. You can't say it's not going to happen to me. It may not, but it happens all the time. And so we can't get the idea that we're exempt from something. We've got to be careful to understand this is, we are flesh, blood, and bone, and we all have emotions. We feel love and all kinds of things, dis- or despair. And uh, even though the healthcare is a system, we've got to remember that the people that go into that system are people. Absolutely. No, great message. And so, Rand, I really want to thank you for jumping on and sharing your thoughts and your experience. I know that the listeners will definitely get a lot out of it, just hearing the patient perspective. And so before we do close, Rand, I just wanted to ask you to share one closing thought and then uh, the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you. Okay. Well, uh, the closing thought is a quote by Helen Keller, and uh, it sums up what we've been talking about. And uh, it says, although the world is full of suffering, it is full also of the overcoming of it. And that's the quote by Helen Keller. And I think that is a perfect um, exclamation point on the end of our show today. And uh, because there is always a way through the dark patch. She was in a very dark place in her life. And Ann Sullivan, this great teacher she had, just poured herself into Helen Keller and what her knowledge and, and her love. And she brought her out of it. And look what kind of person that she became. Anybody that hasn't read her story needs to read it. It's very inspirational. And as far as where you can reach me, I'm on social media as Rand Patterson on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Pinterest. I've also got an inspirational blog called Color Me Well on Blogspot. 
But if you don't have time, if you're in your car, don't have time to write any of this down or take notes or somewhere you can't take notes, just Google me and it'll come up in the search and, you know, the link will be there. Awesome. And so additionally to the listeners, visit outcomesrocket.com slash RAN, that's R-A-N-N, and you'll be able to see the show notes and any of the links of the things that we've discussed. So RAN, just want to say thank you once again for taking the time to, to spending a couple minutes of your day to share your story. I know the, the listeners will, will truly appreciate it and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Oh, I've enjoyed it. It's been an honor to be on here and thank you so much for having me. So I appreciate Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 